Good morning. It's good to see you in worship this morning, and it's good to be together. It's good to, to just experience God's presence. That, that song that we just ended with, um, wow. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I, I needed that song. Um, and what a, just a, a powerful song to be able to declare the gospel message, uh, the good news of Jesus, that it's through the blood of Christ that we can be forgiven, we can be changed, we can be redeemed, and uh, it's just good to be in worship with you. Uh, if you are a regular here, it's good to see your face again, and I, I see you all the time, and if you're a guest with us, I'm glad that you're here. I pray that it's a blessing to you today, and you have picked a really good Sunday to show up and experience a little bit about who we are and kind of learn where we're headed and, and what's going on here in this local church. Um, if, uh, if you're watching online, uh, I just want you to know we're glad that you're connecting with us through this technology. Uh, we know that many of you will do that before you step into these doors. And so we just look forward to when we can get to know you in person. And we pray uh, that this is a blessing to you in the meantime. Uh, as you came in today, you should have received one of these. I hope you did. I hope you got one per family. Um, if you didn't grab one of these on your way in, make sure you grab one as you leave. Um, at today's Vision Sunday, today we are kind of celebrating the good things that God has done in the past, and that's what this is about, um, and we're looking forward to where is God leading us in the future. And so over and over through Scripture, uh, in the Old Testament, New Testament, what would happen is God's people would look back, they would see God's faithfulness, they would see how God had walked with them in the past, they would celebrate God's faithfulness and goodness, and then they would look forward to where God was leading them. And so, um, you know, hopefully uh, you will pour over this. I, I hope that you read all the details. I hope you don't do it all during the sermon. I mean, if there's a real boring spot, I suppose you could really get into it uh, then. Um, but, you know, the, the idea behind this is for us to just look back and say, thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your faithfulness. Um, and I was planning on, in this message, kind of hitting some highlights of this report and working through it, but the reality is, is there are just a lot of highlights in there, and uh, I've got a lot to say about where we are headed, um, and so let me just encourage you, read through that, uh, and celebrate just all the good things that God is doing, um, but I, it's in your hands, um, you have it with you, you can take it with you, um, if you're watching online, uh, you can actually go to the About Us page on our website. You can go to the bottom of that About Us page, and you can find that entire annual report on our website. And I hope those of you who are watching online will take some time and look through that as well. Uh, but I just want to dive right in. Is that okay? Because I've got a lot to say, and, uh, and I don't have enough time to say it already, okay? So buckle your seatbelts, and we're going to kind of go fast, and we're going to fly through. Uh, what does God want for your life, what does God uh, want for you to experience, and what do we as a church want to help you experience, and what do we as a church corporately want to help those who haven't yet come to know the love of Christ experience in their lives? That's what I want to talk about today, and let's pray before we dive in. Can we do that? Father, thank you for your presence that is here. Thank you for your power that is at work in this place. Thank you for your faithfulness in the past. Lord, for how you are being faithful today and for what you are going to do in the future as we follow you, I pray, Lord, that today you would soften our hearts, open our minds, help us to be receptive to everything you want to do in us and through us. And we ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, so uh, Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, great passage. Um, uh, we're going to read it in three different translations um, because I want to start in the King James. And I don't often read from the King James, and it's not because I'm a King James hater, all right? Um, King James was leading a lot of people to Jesus before a lot of other translations were. Uh, but sometimes uh, the, the old English of the King James is a barrier for people who just don't speak in Shakespearean language today. And so, um, but in the King James, I love how the King James says, Proverbs 29, 18. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And this is where it starts to get a little rough. But he that keepeth the law 
happy is he. All right. Now, the NIV says it a little bit differently. Uh, the NIV says this, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instructions. But my favorite translation of this, and it's a paraphrase of this, is in the message paraphrase. And the message paraphrase says it this way, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. So in other words, if you don't capture God's vision for your life, your life is going to be chaos, is what this is saying. If, if you can't capture God's vision and plan and best for what he wants for you, you're going to stumble all over yourself. You're going to cast off all restraint. Or according to the King James, you're going to perish. All right? So there's one of those is going to happen. It's, it's going to be bad if we can't figure out what God's doing, if we can't understand what God is trying to lead us to. And so um, blessed and happy and filled with joy, those things don't come with chasing after the things that the world tells us to do. Being blessed, being filled with joy, having contentment in our life, those things come when we find what God is doing and we can discover. And so our job as a church, my job as a pastor, is to help you capture what is God doing and what does God want me to do? That, that's kind of the, what, what we're trying to focus in on. It says this in Psalm, Psalm 16, 11. It, it says, you will show me the way of life. Let me just say this. There is a way. I, I think this is important for us to understand. There is a way of life that God has for you. And it, there's a specific way, right? Um, and it's a narrow way. It's not the wide way, it's the narrow way. But there is a very clear way. Um, so you make known to me, or you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. The NIV says it this way, you make known to me the path of life. The path of life. And you will fill me with joy in your presence with the eternal pleasures at your right hand. And what the psalmist is saying here, what, what God is saying is that God has this path for your life. And if you can discover that path, you're going to have joy. You're going to have uh, the pleasure of living not just in this life, but in the eternal life with God in that joy, but it comes when we find that path. And so joy doesn't come from religious activities. Let me say that again. Joy does not come from religious activities. You, you can be a very religious person and have no joy in your life. You ever met one of those people? I have. I've, I've met those people. Um, they're extremely religious. They're doing a lot of religious activities, but they don't have any joy in their life. They they're not experiencing the fullness of life uh, because religious activity is not what God wants from us. God does not want a religion from us. What he wants is a relationship with us. This is so important um, that we capture this. It's not about religion. It's not about checking religious boxes. It's about an authentic relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so our, our mission um, is that we would help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. That, that's, that's our mission as a church. And, and hopefully, if you've been coming here for any time at all, you've heard us talk about that over and over and over again. Jesus said this in John 10.10. 10. He said, The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. That's, that's ultimately what Jesus wants for us. He has, a, he has a plan for your life. 
And it is a good plan. It's a plan where you'll experience the joy of relationship with Him. Now, that doesn't mean there's not going to be any problems in life. We know there's going to be problems in life. Jesus told us in this life you will have troubles. You will have hardships. But there is a joy in walking in relationship with the Heavenly Father that we can experience when we're in relationship with God. And so don't settle for less than God's plan for your life. I think this is, sometimes we just kind of, we settle for something that's less than God's best. And, and what I want to call us to today is like, what is God's plan? What is that path? What is that, that that God is calling us to? How can we experience that? And how can we not settle for less? And so uh, his vision for your life um, is is something that if we can just capture it, If I can help you this morning understand there is a plan, there is a vision that God has for all of your lives. Scripture is clear, Old Testament through the New Testament. This is what God wants from us. If we can understand this and we can walk in it, it'll be be unbelievable. And, And here's the thing. When we talk about our mission, so I don't know if you can pull that mission slide up. When we talk about our mission, that that our mission is helping people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. And, and again, we talk about that all the time. Some of you are like, yeah, we know, we know. We hear that over and over and over again. Um, and we say that over and over again, but, but some of you might be wondering, well, where exactly does God want me to be? And I am so glad you asked that question because that's what I want to talk about this morning. Hey, if our mission is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be, what does that look like and how do we do that? How do we actually begin to take those steps? And if you're here this morning, or if you're watching online, then, then really where this starts for you is this idea of following Jesus. Following Jesus is, is number one. Following Jesus. And, and if you will take that step to follow Jesus or following Jesus, and, and that's where it really uh, starts with is, is surrendering and, and following Jesus. And I think there's a slide for that. Um, if, if you'll take that step and you'll, you'll begin right there, it, it just starts with saying, Jesus, I, I want to do everything that that song we just sang, right? I, I want to surrender. I want to accept the forgiveness of that blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. And, and I want to follow you with my life. And and if you've been here for a long time, you know that um, we, and you can just keep this slide up for a minute because I want to talk about this. We, for a long time, talked about knowing God. And there, there is something in every, every single person has an innate, even, even people who are atheists and who claim to be an atheist, they spend a lot of their energy trying to proclaim something uh, because the reality is all of us have this innate desire to know God. And, and there are people that spend their life trying to reject that. Um, but there is something in all of us. In, in, in every world religion, uh, there is some, there's, there's a, this desire in us to know God and, and to be in relationship with God. So we used to talk about knowing God was where it started. But honestly, when I went to Israel this past fall, and, and we were in Israel, and I just began to realize, you know what, there's a lot of people that know God. There's a lot of people that even have head knowledge about God. And certainly in America, there are many of us that kind of have this head knowledge of God, but, but we're not following Jesus. And I, I want us to be a little bit more clear. Our mission as a church is to help people follow Jesus. That, that is the mission of the church because it, it is ultimately God's desire that we would be following Jesus, surrendering our life to Jesus, and, and be in a relationship with God through following Jesus. That, that's really the, the beginning place. Now, I want to be clear about this because it does not start with you. Because we can become really arrogant and we can say, well, it starts when I choose to follow Jesus. Let's just be real clear. Long before you choose to follow Jesus... Jesus has been pursuing you. And, and we believe in what's called provenient grace. And we believe provenient grace is, and if you all think back to your experience when you came to a, a saving place, and if you're here today and you said, I'm going to follow Jesus, 
there were many things happening before the moment where you decided to follow Jesus, where Jesus was drawing you and the Holy Spirit was working in your life. There were circumstances and there were events. There were people that God sent into your life. There were things that God was doing before you began looking for God. God was looking for you. And what you need to know, I don't know how to better say this, God just loves you. God loves you. And if, if he had a refrigerator in heaven, your picture would be on it. Um, and, and, and he would just, he would have lots of pictures. And he'd be like, that's my kid right there. And, and he just loves you. And he wants to be in a relationship with you. And it's through surrendering to Jesus and following Jesus and receiving the free gift of salvation by the blood of Jesus and doing the things that Jesus taught us to do that we enter into that relationship with God. And, and so it starts long before, in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says it this way, But God shows His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So long before you ever started choosing to follow Jesus, God was pursuing you. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And yet... The relationship starts when we choose to surrender to Christ and say, Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bow my knee. And here's the thing, that's not a one-time decision. Some of you who've been following Jesus for a long time, you know, that's not like one day back in time I began following. No, no, no. Like this morning when you woke up, you had to decide, I'm going to follow Jesus. This morning when you wake, woke up, you had to decide, I'm going to choose to surrender my will to your will. You're going to sit on the throne, not me. I'm going to do what you want me to do and live my life following you. You are Lord. I'm not. That is continual. It is following Jesus. That's, that's what we want you to experience. And, and when we say our mission is helping people move from where they are to where God wants them to be, this is, this is tricky. and You need to capture this. The church's mission is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. You are the church. All right, so this, this is tricky, right? We want you to experience this in your life. We want you to be following Jesus. But we also want you to understand you are the church. This building is not the church. The institution is not the church. You are the church, and it is your job to help other people who aren't yet here begin to follow Jesus. And so we need to be experiencing it and we need to be helping others experience it at the same time because we are the church. And so the, the second step in this path that we believe God has for everybody, it's the second step God has for you, it's the second step that God has for every person who's not here yet, is this idea of growing in faith. And so it starts with following Jesus, but then it moves into this growing in faith. And the thing about this is when... When you come to the place that the provenient grace of God finally gets you to the place where you're like, okay, I, I get it, God. I, I surrender to you. And you surrender your life to Jesus and you begin following Jesus. You are immediately forgiven of all your sins. You are immediately adopted into the family of God. You, all of these things happen in a moment. But you and I both know that you're still a mess. And I know that about you because I know that about me, right? When I began following Jesus, he took me just like I was. He accepted me. He forgave me. But I was still a wreck. I still had a whole lot of baggage. I still had a lot of stuff in my life. And that's the way it is for all of us. And, and what happens is sometimes we make that first step and we say, okay, well, I'm, I'm forgiven and, and I'm, I'm in the family of God and then we just settle for being in the stuck place that we're in, whatever that stuck place is for you. We just settle for, well, I, I'm just always going to have those habits and those hang-ups, and well, that's just who I am, and, and, I, and I'll never get over that, and I, I don't have power to get over that, and, I, and I'm just, I'll, I'll just always be that way, and, and I'll never be able to look more and more like Jesus. I'm just kind of here. I'm stuck. And, and we settle for second best. And sometimes we look around and we think, well, you know, everybody else is kind of stuck. So I guess it's stuck is just how we have to be and how we have to stay. And, and yet, um, the, the theological word for this growing in faith, 
that, that happens after salvation. The big theological word for this is sanctification. It's, it's the process that the Holy Spirit does in our life to move us away from who we used to be more into the image of Christ. And uh, it says this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. It's God's will that you should be sanctified. So there it is. Um, if you were wondering, well, yeah, but is that really? Yes, it's here. God, it's God's will that you would be saved, you would be forgiven, and it's God's will that you would be sanctified. And so without the power of God working in your life, you will always be stuck. Without the power of the Holy Spirit working in you, you will never get over all of those things in your life. You'll just, you'll just be forgiven, but you'll just be stuck. And it says this in John 8.36, Jesus said, So if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. Jesus came to sanctify us, to free us, so that we don't have to stay the same way that we once were. And he came to change us from the inside out. And the beautiful thing is that he accepts us just where we are. He takes us and he loves us as a mess. But then he doesn't want to leave us that way. He wants to heal and restore and redeem and set us free. We see this over and over in Scripture. And, and so here's the, part of the problem with the American church as a whole is when we think of growing in faith, we think of it as intellectual growing. We think that the way and the path to change is learning more. Isn't that what we think? I mean, we might not always say that, but that's what we think. We think the path to change is no more. Now, listen, I have quoted this to my boys their whole life, and I was wrong, all right? And this is the quote, G.I. Joe. For those of you who used to watch G.I. Joe, all right? G.I. Joe said, now you know, and knowing is, 10 of you watch G.I. Joe, awesome. We should hang out. Um, the rest of you missed out on some seriously good cartoons. Okay, so anyway, I've said this, <laughs> I've said this to my boys a hundred times. Hey, and now you know, and knowing is half the battle. Listen, G.I. Joe was wrong. Knowing is not half the battle. Knowing's like 10% of the battle. Because you and I both know that we know a bunch of stuff that we're not doing. And the reality is the path to growing in faith is not learning more. And we have bought into this idea that we're just a walking brain. And if I just learn more, I'll change. And that's not how we change. Listen to this. I love this quote by a guy named James K. Smith. He wrote a book called You Are What You Love, The Spiritual Power of Habits. And he said this, knowing the right thing is different from doing the right thing. And doing the right thing is different from doing the right thing for the right reasons. So uh, what this means is um, the, you know, you can actually surrender your life to Jesus, begin following Jesus, and, and then you can begin learning and knowing some stuff. And then sometimes you can even begin to do the right stuff, but you can oftentimes do the right stuff with the wrong heart. And we see this in the Pharisees, right? Where they were doing a lot of the right things, but Jesus looked into their heart and he said, hey, you guys are whitewashed tombs. You're, you're doing all of this religious activity, but you aren't being changed on the inside. And so the problem with growing by learning, so I'm just trying to help us understand this. If we think that we grow by learning more, uh, then it's more like spiritual growth is a class that we're taking, and it's less like that. It's, it's actually more like martial arts or taking piano. So I'm, I'm curious, in this room, how many of you at any point in your life have ever either taken some kind of a martial art or you've ever taken piano lessons, raise your hand. Let me see it. Raise them high and be bold. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to look around the room, keep them up. I want you to try to guess who took piano and who took martial arts. No, don't do that. No. Um, so a few of us in this room took both. All right. Um, so um, here's, here's, here's what you need to know about martial arts. So growing in faith 
is less an intellectual exercise, and it's more like training for a martial art. And here's what I know about martial arts. You will never be a black belt in martial arts by watching. You can watch every Chuck Norris movie, Bruce Lee movie, Steven Seagal movie, Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. You can watch all of the karate kids and you, you will still not be a black belt in karate. I know. I know. I can quote you some movies right now, but I won't. All right. So um, just watching that stuff and learning the moves from watching it does not actually make you good at martial arts. The only way to good at mar- be mar- good at martial arts is to train and to actually get the muscle memory of doing these things. It's the same with p- piano, right? You can watch YouTube videos all day long on piano, but until you actually sit down at a piano and begin to practice what you're watching and you're learning on those YouTube videos, you'll never become a concert pianist. There's something about training to be like Jesus that we've got to understand. And it's not in, I mean, the good news is the Bible is full of training exercises of how we can allow the Holy Spirit to change us. And what's important is it's not the practices that change us. It's the Holy Spirit that changes us. But we create room for the Holy Spirit to change us as we do these spiritual practices that Scripture teaches and and shows us. And so um, when when we think about this muscle memory, uh, Richard Foster says this in Celebration of Discipline, one one of the greatest books ever written on spiritual disciplines. He says, a farmer is helpless to grow grain. All he can do is provide the right conditions for the growing of grain. He cultivates the ground, he plants the seed, he waters the plants, and then the natural forces of the earth take over and up comes the grain. This is how it is with the spiritual disciplines. They are a way of sowing to the Spirit. By themselves, the spiritual disciplines can do nothing. They can only get us to the place where something can be done. Richard Foster in celebration of discipline. And so um, it is, it's not the disciplines that change us, but it's the disciplines that, that cultivate the soil of our life so that the Holy Spirit can work and sanctify us and transform us into the men and women that God has called us to be. And so uh, following Easter Sunday, three weeks uh, from now, following Easter Sunday, we're going to kick off a series and we're going to talk about uh, for, for several weeks, what does it look like to train to be like Jesus? What does that look like? How can we train to be like Jesus? What are the things that we can build into our lives? Um, and if, if we stop doing number one and we focus only on number two, right? Number one is following Jesus, surrendering to Jesus, being in an authentic, loving relationship with Jesus. If we stop doing number one and we only do number two, then we'll become really religious people. We'll become like the Pharisees. So you never stop any of these, right? While you're doing these training exercises, you're still doing number one, which is every morning you're getting up and you're saying, Jesus, I surrender to you. I love you. I'm thankful for you. And and I want to follow you. I I, want to give my life to you. And so you're doing number one, and you're then moving into number two where you're doing these training exercises and this sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit begins to change you and mold you and shape you into the image of Christ. And then as we continue to surrender and as we continue to do these exercises, we move into step three. And this is God's plan for all of our lives. And that is that we would be making a difference in the lives of other people, that, that we would be connecting with others uh, as, we, as we make a difference that we go from here, and, and in a minute we're going to talk about this fourth step, is that we've got to build connections with people that are far from Christ. But, but making a difference is what you've been created for. That you have a purpose and a plan for your life. That God has created you to make a difference in this world. You were not created to just pay the bills. You were not created to just exist and, and just kind of go through the motions. Like God created you uh, and, and he had a plan for you that, that you would literally be a part 
of shaping and molding and, and being a part of creation and making a difference in other people's eternity. And uh, John 15, I love this passage, uh, John 15, uh, chapter 4 through 11 says this, or John 15, verses 4 through 11 says this, Remain in me, this is Jesus speaking, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Let me just pause right there and say, how many of you have experienced this in your life, right? You started following Jesus, you started training to be like Jesus, and you were like, yeah, and all of a sudden you start being real fruitful, like you're living out the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You're, you're, you're bearing spiritual fruit. Maybe you're even leading people to Christ. You're inviting people, and, and you're being fruitful. And then something happens, and you get distracted. Life moments happen, and you're like, squirrel. And, and all of a sudden, you disconnect a little bit, right? And as you disconnect, you become less fruitful. Jesus says you can't be fruitful you can't bear the fruit. You can't live out the fruit of the Spirit and do the things that I've called you to do if you're not connected with me. You just can't do it. It's, it's impossible for you. And he goes on in verse 5. He says, yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. So in other words, it's expected of us that we would produce fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. And when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And this brings great glory to my Father. I've loved you even as the Father has loved me, remain in my love. And when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. The ultimate vision that God has for your life, that path, that way that God has for you is, is not just that you would be forgiven and you would follow Jesus. That, that's a huge part of it. And it's not just that you would be forgiven and you would follow Jesus and that you would do these training exercises and, and, and you would be being sanctified and you would just say, this is so good for me, right? I'm, I'm following Jesus. I'm being sanctified. This is good. I, I like this. This is for me, for me, for me. The ultimate purpose that God forgives us and sanctifies us is so that we can make a difference in the lives of other people. If that wasn't the ultimate purpose, then why doesn't God just call you up to heaven the moment you're forgiven, right? Why, why doesn't just the moment you get saved, God immediately bring you to heaven? The reason that doesn't happen is because he's got a plan for you right now here, that there are people that don't know him yet, that he's banking on us, and he's empowered us, and he's calling us to go and be a light and be witnesses so that those people who don't know him yet can come to know him because of the witness that we have. Now, I will tell you, um, we, we have a, a, a planning meeting, kind of a worship planning meeting every week, and in our worship planning meeting this week, we were talking about this message, and we we're talking about kind of where we're going um, and Pastor Teresa shared a phenomenal illustration uh, with us in that planning meeting. And so I said, I'm going to steal that and I might give you credit. So here it is. I'm giving her credit. Um, it's a great, she could probably tell it better. If I mess it up, go talk to Pastor Teresa. She'll help you get it better. But um, if you think about a baseball glove, and you imagine <clears throat> that a baseball glove is created with a very clear purpose, right? It is, it is uniquely created and it is perfectly created to catch baseballs. That's what it's designed for. And it's really good at this job. But if you take a baseball glove and you lay it on the ground, the odds of that baseball glove catching a baseball are pretty slim, right? 
Even though it's perfectly designed and it was created for catching baseballs, if you just lay it on the ground, it's not going to be very good at that. But if you will take that baseball glove and you put your hand in that glove and you, you fill every single finger hole of that glove and you, you put it on full and you put it on tight, then all of a sudden that glove, empowered by your hand, can do the thing that it was created for that it could never have done on its own. And this is such a picture of the sanctifying work of God in our lives. When, when we empty ourselves and we say, Lord, will you fill me? Holy Spirit, will you fill me full so that then I can do the thing that you've called me to do that I can't do in my own strength and in my own power. When we empty ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to fully fill us, we then can be used to do these things. And, and, and this is so important. Now, there's, there's a whole bunch of numbers in your report. And I hope as you look at this report uh, that you celebrate these. Um, th- there's, a, there's a lot of numbers in this that we should just be thrilled about. Honestly, as your pastor, there's numbers in here. I'm like, man, like that was a good year. Like I, I was, so, I, so many things in here that I was just thrilled about. But I got to tell you, there's a number in here that I'm not happy with. And there's a number in here that, that we couldn't ignore, so we put it in here. But I need you to know that as your pastor, I'm not thrilled about that number. And as your pastor, I need to ask for your forgiveness that I have not led us in a better way, that that number is different. And, and although we know, Scripture tells us when one person is saved, all of heaven rejoices. I, we know that. But I'm, I'm just telling you, when I look at the number of 32 people that have come to follow Jesus this year, I celebrate those 32, but I believe that that number should be a lot bigger. I believe that if all of us were doing what Jesus called us to do, and if I were leading us in some different ways, that that number should be bigger. There should be more people that we're having an impact on. And I promise you, I'll promise you this, there's already things that we're planning on doing differently. There's some things that we have on our radar right now that we're saying, hey, Lord, not again, because we should be making a bigger impact. And there should be more people. When, when Mark Bain last week had us stand up and the vast majority of our church stood up to say, hey, I've been saved in the last three years, I wasn't fully thrilled with that. I got to tell you, I'm glad that you're following Jesus. I'm glad. But what that told me is we're not doing a good enough job connecting with people that are far from God, that are coming in new. And any time a moment like that happens, there ought to be at least a third of the church that is not standing because they're new to the faith and, and they're coming to know Jesus. And so um, I, I just I want you to skip ahead to number four, uh, to the connecting with Jesus, because this, this is the thing um, that, that we've got to do. Um, and I know I'm skipping some slides, but hold that up there for just a minute. This is, this is where we need to go. We, we have got to be following Jesus. We've got to be growing and training to be like Jesus and growing in our faith. We, we've got to be making a difference in the lives of others. But this is how we do that. We, we've got to be connecting with people that are far from Jesus. We've got to be leaving the walls of this place, and we've got to be intentionally building relationships with those people that don't know Jesus yet. And so um, you, it's hard to schedule evangelism. I don't know if you've ever done this. It's hard to just like put on your calendar, like do evangelism, you know, from, you know, 1230 to one. Now, I mean, I suppose you could do that. You could get a megaphone, you could go out on a corner and, and you could, you know, be like, I'm going to schedule evangelism for this 30 minutes a day. Um, but it's hard to do that. Um, and because God's amazing, he would probably even use you if you went out with a megaphone, right? But usually that's not a super effective way of doing evangelism. It's hard to schedule evangelism, but you know what you can schedule? You can schedule hospitality. You can schedule connection. You, can, you can't schedule evangelism, but you can schedule, I'm going to invite somebody who doesn't know Jesus. I'm going to invite a family who isn't following Jesus over to dinner. I, I'm just going to have them over. Um, 
we can do things like we're doing with our community park. And, and we can build a park and we can build a basketball goal and a pickleball court and we can, we can work on developing uh, disc golf courses and, and, and we're talking like just this in the last couple of weeks we've been talking about what would it look like to do a dog park and I don't know if that'll ever happen. I can tell you now a cat park will never happen. Um, maybe a dog park, um, but like what would it look like? What would it look like for us to schedule hospitality and for us to be intentional to connect with the people that come in. And, and we can do all of this, but if we don't intentionally say, you know what, I've never played pickleball, but I'm going like, to try to like, learn pickleball so that I can build some relationships with people and I can share Jesus. I, you know what, I've never played disc golf, but maybe I'll give it a whirl and I'll just build some connections with some people that are playing disc golf. Maybe, maybe you know, I have for years been led astray to have a cat and I need to buy a dog so I can be, I'm just kidding about that. Um, um, so, you know, but the point is like, how can you intentionally connect with others? Because if you're here right now, our mission is to help you follow Jesus. But for the people that aren't here yet, for the people that aren't watching online, we've got to just start with connecting with them. It's got to start with just a relational connection where they say, you know what? That was a nice person. I, you know, I, I'd like to hear more. It, it starts with just a connection. Now, um, now you can go backwards uh, to a, a little bit earlier. I, I want to I talk about, uh, this week I had somebody say to me, hey, you know, because we, when we look at this annual report, you're going to see about numbers and growing in numbers. And, and sometimes people say, is it all about the numbers? And I just want to say to you, no, it's about people. But every number is a person, and every person matters to God and should matter to us. And so we should, we should desire to be fruitful in reaching people for Jesus that aren't here yet, which means we should be growing in numbers. Um, there, there's a, there is something Satan would love for us to say, well, I, don't, you know, I, I like the size of our church. This is comfortable. Let's keep it where it is. Let's not get any bigger. We don't want to shrink, but I don't want to like get any bigger. This feels good. Let's keep it here. The reality is Satan would love us to become a club. Satan would love us to get comfortable where we are. Satan would love us uh, to not do more services. I, had, you know, I was talking to somebody this week. They said, you know, I don't know the people in the other service. We should try to get together more, all of the services, so that, so that we can all know each other. And, and it was bothering them that they didn't know the people in the other service. And I just said, hey, that's great. You shouldn't know the people in the other service. You should know the people in your service. And that like, just blew their mind. But there's this guy named Dunbar. Uh, he was an a English anthropologist, and he has this number called called the Dunbar number. It, it, he didn't start it as that. He just did all the study, and it's become synonymous with his name. And uh, it's 150. And what he says is, is that you can really only know about 150 people. That's about all you can know. And so um, what we need to understand uh, is that he, he actually says early hunter-gatherers, uh, even into modern-day offices and campsites and military organizations, even when it comes to Christmas card lists, he says somewhere after 150, it starts to break down. Um, some of you are like, yeah, no, that's true. Um, um, some of you have never sent out Christmas cards. And uh, then, you know, <laughs> then you're like Melanie and I. So we're sorry. We should be better. Anyway, he breaks this down. Pull up that next slide for me. Dunbar's number breaks down a little bit further. And he says, there is an inner circle of people which are your, your really your loved ones. And so I guess if you have more uh, than six people in your family, you're out of luck. So you can pick the one you can't have in that inner circle. I don't know. Uh, obviously, this is rule of thumb, okay? Um, and then uh, he says after that, there's 15 kind of close friends. And then there's 150 meaningful contacts that you can have that really, beyond this, you just can't do it. Uh, there's about 500 acquaintances that a person can have and about 1,500 people you can recognize. Now, um, people come in and out of these layers and out of these circles, but the point is, is you have to make room for new people. If someone's you can't put a new person in that without somebody stepping out. It's just there's only so much bandwidth that a human has to have so many relationships. Extroverts tend to have a larger network on the farther sides and spread themselves a little thinner. Introverts focus on deeper, thicker relationships on the inner circles. But, um, it, you know, this is a rule of thumb. The reason I share this with us, though, is that we have got to be 
reaching more people, we've got to be going out from here. And, and honestly, as we do that, and as we are fruitful, and as we do the things that Jesus tells us to do, and new people come, we're going to have to add services. We're going we're gonna to have to do things, and we're going to have to grow, and, and you're going to have to have less seats in between you and the next person next to you, and we're just, we're just going to have to experience some of that change, and we should celebrate that. We should absolutely celebrate that. This is a good, good thing. And here's what you need to know. You need to know the people in your service. Have those 150 meaningful contacts. Know the people in your service. Work on that. And, and you should get on a ministry team, and you should have some friends in that 50 circle that you serve with and that you build like actual friendship with because you're serving with them on a ministry team. And then you should have some good friends in a life group. And, and our goal as a church is to be able for you to have those things in your life. And because of COVID, most people don't have that person in their life that if there was a crisis, they could pick up the phone and call them at midnight. Like, and they don't have 15 of those people. But we should. We, we should have people in our lives that we know so well and we would say, these are my close friends. And if there was a crisis, I could call them and they would be there for me. Who are those people in your life. And so when we started this church in 1957, um, Ken and Avis Stanifer and several people along with them were, were just this founding small group of people that said, we're going to start a church in this area. We're, we're going to do the hard work of putting something new where there was nothing before. And, and they didn't word it as we want to help people move from where they were to where God wants them to be. But that was the heartbeat of the church, that they wanted people to experience salvation following Jesus. They wanted people to experience sanctification, growing in faith and being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit so that they could be set free, so that they could make a difference in this community. And I'm just telling you, the fruit of their labor, the fruit of their labor is all around us. Um, Ken uh, went home to be with Jesus uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and, and next Sunday, uh, sometime in the afternoon, we're going to have a celebration of life for Ken, and he was the last founding member of this church. Um, and what, what a testimony, though, of a group of people that said, we're going to give ourselves away so that other people could come to know the love of Jesus, and all of us are the fruit of the hard work and the seeds that were planted by them. But if you go backwards further than Ken and Avis and further than 1957, in the early 1900s, the Church of the Nazarene as a denomination was birthed in a revival movement where they were just like, hey, we've, we've got to help people who are poor and marginalized and hurting and broken know that Jesus loves them. And the, the Church of the Nazarene was birthed in that revival movement. And you go back even further than that, there's a guy named John Wesley who had this, this vision and this, this passion to, to reach people. And one of my new favorite John Wesley quotes um, is, is this. John Wesley uh, was in England and was preaching in these huge cathedrals. Uh, with stained glass windows, and, and wealthy people came into these cathedrals. And George Whitfield, who was another preacher of the time, kept saying to John Wesley, listen, John, you need to get out of the cathedral, and you need to start preaching to the common people out in the fields, because that's where the gospel needs to be proclaimed. And John Wesley kept saying to George Whitfield, listen, that's vile. It's vile to, to go out there in the fields and preach. Like God's word is meant to be preached behind a pulpit in a cathedral. Like that's kind of the, how he was raised and it's what he believed. And I, I love this quote from John Wesley because John Wesley on April 2nd, 1739, wrote this in his journal. He said, at four in the afternoon, I submitted to be more vile 
and proclaimed in the highways the glad tidings of salvation. And once John Wesley left the cathedral, he really never went back. Um, And he spent the rest of his ministry preaching to common people in the fields and in the streets and in the highways and and leaving the church to go proclaim the gospel. And, And here's, when we think of this whole what we want for you is a is a individual and what we as a church want is a mission and a vision is that all of us would experience God's work in us that we would be following Jesus that we would be growing in our faith through training to be like Jesus that we would be making a difference in the lives of others and we would do that by connecting that we would be intentional to just this week make some connections with some people that are far from Jesus, that we would intentionally build hospitality into our lives to invite people in and just share the love of Christ with them. And as we do that, we'll help them follow Jesus, grow in faith, make a difference, connect with others, so that those people that can follow Jesus, and it just keeps going. And none of this stops, right? Because while you're connecting, you keep following Jesus, and you keep growing. He's not finished with you. You're not perfect yet. I don't know if if your spouse hasn't told you that recently. uh, Let me help you. Uh, You're not perfect. Um, My wife helps me with that a lot. She tells me. I'm like, thank you, dear. Um, She's right. Um, We're not perfect, right? Um, We're going to continue growing, and we're going to continue to make a difference, and we're going to continue connecting with others. So, um, I want to pray for us, and then we're going to, we'll close with a song. I I love this song that we've been singing uh, about how God never, never, he's never failed me yet. And and I, this is, before we sing this song, um, I just, I want us to think about this annual report that you have in your hands. And as you look at it this week, and as you celebrate God's goodness, um, just know um, that God's going to continue to be faithful. Um, and so let me pray for us, and then we're going to sing this song um, and, and just ask the Lord to help us with this. Father, we want so desperately to find your way and your path. Lord, every single person who's here this morning, every single person who's watching online, we, we want to know your path. We want to walk in your path. We want to we find that path that, that can give us fulfillment and joy and meaning and purpose. And, and so, Lord, I pray that you would help us understand that your path for us is that, that we would just surrender our life and that we would begin following Jesus. Lord, if there's some who are here today, if there's some who are watching online and they've never even taken that first step, Lord, that they would today even just say, Jesus, I, I want to surrender my life to you. I, I need forgiveness. I, I've made a mess of, of my life, and, and there is chaos, and I am stumbling all over myself, and, and I just need forgiveness, and I need grace, and I need you to come into my life and take me and adopt me and, and make me your child. I'm going to surrender to you today. But Lord, there are so many of us who are here that we've, we've made that decision And we just recognize that there's a whole lot of growth that still needs to happen. I pray that you would help us to train, to do the the disciplines that you've taught us to do. That that we wouldn't just learn more, but we would train to be like you. Lord, I pray that you you would equip us to do the things that you've called us to do. Help us to go from this place and invite people to Easter and, and share your love with them. And Lord, when we think I stink at evangelism, well, the reason we stink is we're not doing it. Lord, help us to do it and, and help us to just get better the more we do it. Help us to, to grow in that area as we exercise. And, and Lord, I pray that you would help us to make a difference that we would find people to connect with, and that we would be intentional to do it. And as we do all of these things, that you would just continue to make us more and more into your image. And Lord, we're grateful that you have been faithful in the past to do that, and that you'll be faithful in the future. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.